0: Welcome to this week's episode of Business Wise. This is a podcast series for entrepreneurs interested in expanding through learning and applying the management system discovered and developed by humanitarian philosopher and administrator, Mr. L. Ron Hubbard. I was reading over an article I've read many times from L. Ron Hubbard quite recently while I was researching something else, in fact, and it so often happens uh, he, he just blew my mind all over again as he connected so many dots for me. I felt it was important to pass this on to you. We did an episode not long ago on happiness, and I was not really expecting the response we got on it. It did very well in its first week of release, so I thought, well, why don't we do another one? But in addition to a point on happiness, there are many, many other basics in here you need to know as a leader and as a creator of enterprises and groups, but you will see a very, very neat tie-in at the end. The article is simply called Service and is dated 27 May 1971. We're going to cover most of the article here, but there is a term that we've used before in earlier episodes, but just in case you're a new listener, let's go over it. It's the term A-R-C. Three letters, A-R-C. And this is uh, Mr. Hubbard's definition. He says, quote, A word from the initial letters of affinity, reality, communication, which together equate to understanding. It is pronounced by stating its letters A-R-C. It has come to mean good feeling, love, or friendliness, such as, quote, He was in A-R-C with his friend, end quote. One does not, however, fall out of ARC. He has an ARC break. That's from Mr. Hubbard. So you've got these three components. Affinity, which uh, he also defines as space and the willingness to occupy the same space of. So you have affinity for somebody. You want to be close to them. You don't have affinity for somebody. You don't want to be close to them. And you get as far away from them as you can. So that's affinity. And then R means mass or agreement. So, well, what's reality? Well, you know, my car is real. My desk is real. My chair is real. But they're also real because we agree they are. And uh, that can get quite philosophical, but that's the truth. Someone came into your dining room and saw your dining room table and said, that's an elephant. You probably look at them like they're crazy. To you, they would be crazy because they're out of agreement with your version of reality. So reality is agreement as well. For instance, there's lots of different realities about which is the best baseball team, you know, in New York City. You've got those who are Mets fans and they won't agree with you. It's not real to them that the Yankees are the best team or vice versa. So reality, agreement, then he says, uh, or mass. C equals energy or recognition. You communicate with something, you recognize it, you see it, you're in communication with it, you communicate to a friend. Obviously, if you're not communicating, it's very hard to establish reality or agreement. And it's pretty hard to have affinity for somebody unless you have communication there as well. So these three factors together equate to ARC or understanding. You build a greater understanding through applying the three corners of the ARC triangle. They're actually a triangle. One affects the other. If you have a disagreement, it tends to influence your affinity for a person and you might go out of communication. You have a fight with someone, you disagree, you stop talking to them, you see the relationship fairly easily that way. Okay. So that's ARC. And of course, when there's an ARC break, there's a sundering or breaking of that ARC and you no longer have that ARC or you no longer have that understanding. Okay. So this is a very important concept that applies throughout organization. In fact, I've often said to my members, The more I study Mr. Hubbard's works on management and administration, the more I realize it breaks down to three letters, A-R-C. For instance, when you're selling, you're using communication, demonstrating affinity in hopes of creating reality and agreement that what you're offering is valuable to the person, and you eventually reach an understanding. I mean, it's a pretty simple concept to apply to any aspect of your life, including family and friends and so on. But anyway, we'll move on. So, there's another term here. We may as well clear it up for good measure because it is the title of the article, and that's the word service. So, service means the action or result of giving assistance or advantage. Work done, duty performed. A service is an increase of usable goods. For example, a lawnmower repairman has repaired a broken-down mower that someone brought to him. He didn't actually make that lawnmower, but he did increase the number of usable goods in the society because when he was finished supplying his service, there was one more lawnmower. So that's the definition of the word service. When somebody provides service to another person, They are providing them something that they need that is valuable to them. It's work done. It's a duty performed. It's something that increases usable goods. Okay, now let's get into the article. So he starts it out with this sentence. The essential ingredient of any post is all capital letters service. So think with that. Remember, a post is a job. It's an area of responsibility. If someone is given a post, they're the salesperson, they're the manager, they're the receptionist, they are the assistant, they are there to provide service, as per the definition that I gave you earlier. He goes on to say a hat essentially is contributive. Uh, I guess we could have cleared up the word hat, but a hat is basically an area of responsibility. It's the functions of a post. It could be described as their hat, right? What's your hat? Well, I answer the phone around here. Oh, you're you're the receptionist then. That's right, I'm the receptionist. My hat is to handle phone calls and incoming particles and outgoing particles and route them to the correct people. Okay, I get it. So that's a hat. So he says a hat is essentially contributive. It contributes to the general production of the team. Contributism is a philosophy in itself. That's interesting, isn't it? Think about that. This idea of contributing being a philosophy, a way of living. He says one contributes, one is contributed to by others contributing to others who then contribute back, one is also benefited. So this is a kind of a unique philosophy. You could have another philosophy. You could have a philosophy of everybody should be taken care of by the state, something like that. That's a certain philosophy, whether they contribute or not which, by the way, is probably more closely describing our current philosophy that is prevalent in this country than contributism is. But anyway, he says, by others contributing to others who then contribute back, one is also benefited. Imagine a culture where all the participants are eagerly contributing as opposed to what can be contributed to me. You know, uh, JFK had a very, very famous quote, didn't he? John F. Kennedy, in his inaugural address, stated, And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. That's a very, very famous quote. And it is outlining, it's basically this philosophy of contributism. But listen to what he says here. Listen to what Mr. Hubbard says. He says, When contribution is cut or not allowed, denied or withheld, one gets the phenomenon of A-R-C break in the form of cut C, communication. And then he goes on and explains where A is affinity and R is reality. How about that? Have you ever had a child, one of your own children perhaps, or somebody else's, try to contribute to something that you're doing and then told them, you know, just go play or No, that's okay. Or I've got this, or whatever it is. And you cut the communication, you cut the opportunity to contribute. What happens to that child? Observe this. You may not observe it because you're too absorbed with what you're doing to see that you just told some child that they are basically not valuable. They're worthless to you at that moment, and that there is no opportunity for them to contribute. That creates an upset or an ARC break. Okay. So he says, ARC breaks precede harmful intentional acts. Well, what can you expect next? You know, broken vase, handprints on the wall. Don't be too surprised to see some harmful intentional act take place after you upset somebody by refusing to let them contribute. We're talking about a child here, but try it on a job. Have some new eager employee trying to make a good go of it, trying to show that they are valuable, trying to show that they want to be part of your team. And then uh, you tell them, well, you you know, you're not ready for this, or we know, no, we can't use you. We're not quite sure what to do with you. You know, you know, our consultant told us, you know, we need to hire people and, but we don't really know what to do with people we're hiring. So just go get us some coffee or, you know, here you get to file or something. and, And the person doesn't feel like they're able to contribute. They're eager to contribute, but they're not contributing. Don't be surprised. Of course, they want the job. They need the pay. So they're going to hang around whether they're contributing or not. But if you stop their reach to contribute, what you're going to get in exchange are harmful, intentional acts. And sooner or later, things are going to start going on because it's okay to commit these acts against you because, well, they'll find reasons. You know, you're a lousy boss. You don't pay enough. It's too long a commute. Whatever. And all of a sudden, they'll find reasons why it's okay to commit these harmful intentional acts. But uh, the truth of the matter is, it all started when you did not allow them to contribute, which also, uh, another plug for training you know, you guys probably think I ride a real hobby horse on this, but it is so mind blowing to me. You hire an employee and refuse to train or consider it's not worth training them, that obviously limits their ability to contribute because they don't know what they're doing. But if they don't know what they're doing, but they're expected to do because that's how they get their paycheck for being busy, but they're busy with what? Well, they're busy with God knows what because they're not trained. They're not hatted. They don't really know what they're doing. So they'll do something else. Next thing you know, they're starting to do harmful, intentional acts. And you go, what happened to this angel I hired? They turned into a devil. Yeah, they did turn into a devil. You know who turned them into a devil? You did. Why? Cause you're not thinking with this philosophy of contributism, and you're not training them or having them so that they can continually improve in their ability to contribute. You don't think that it's important to them. They may not say it's important to them, but trust me, it's important to them. All right. So he says, A or C breaks precede harmful intentional acts. Thus, you can expect that when contribution is not balanced to some degree, trouble and upset occurs. From such breakdowns, we get the violence of strikes, political philosophies, and even revolution. Yeah. You know, I don't think the communists created their revolution based on the fact that they weren't allowed to contribute, probably that they weren't being contributed to enough or whatever it was, or from each according to their ability, to each according to their needs. That is not a philosophy of contributism. Okay, that's a communist philosophy, and I'm not here to be political. I stay away from that subject, but I'm just saying that ain't contributism, okay? Because then, hey, you contribute to me whether I can contribute back or not. That's not contributism. And you can contribute a lot, so contribute a lot. But we don't necessarily have to contribute back to you. Do you follow how you get these imbalances? All right. So he says, a welfare state requiring no contribution will at length be paid in revolution. Starting to feel the rumblings of a revolution right now. I'm not trying to foment anything. I'm just saying there's a lot of disquiet right now in the American culture. It's not going to go away unless you start engaging in a more contributive philosophy. All right. He says a hat, quote, worn, end quote, without contributing to the team or without contributing one's real efforts, will cause A, an upset and discomfort in oneself. B, a harmful reaction from others. How about that? So the person himself, when he's not contributing, starts to feel this upset and discomfort, and others start to get a bit jacked about the guy, right? Like, or the girl or whatever, you know, they're hanging around. We're giving them a paycheck. I don't see them contributing. I know I am. I'm working my guts out. Where's the contribution from that guy? And that's going to create a harmful reaction from others. And C, these are Mr. Hubbard's words, reactions from within the remainder of the team. So something changes within the culture of the team. I think um, I, I used to avidly follow, as some of you know who listened to my podcast, I used to avidly follow hockey. I don't really so much anymore. don't have much time for that. But I suspect that a lot of the reactions within the remainder of the team, if you've got a sports team that is seeming to be out of sorts within itself, you probably have some elements of this violation of this philosophy of contributism, okay? So he says, now listen to this. Very important datum. Morale is dependent upon production. Morale. You know, feeling of high spirits, feeling that you're getting on with things, feeling good about yourself, that's morale. Morale is dependent upon production. Remember that. You could you could frame that I don't know how well it would go over to put it in your staff area. They probably would feel made wrong about it. But you could certainly post it on the inside of your forehead along with these other useful laws you can live by. Morale is dependent upon production. Production is accomplished by numerous contributions of thought or effort. Sometimes a contribution needs to be thought like... I was thinking of another example recently of somebody was just waiting for instruction, waiting for instruction, not thinking, you know, not contributing their thought, but contributing their body. That's what they felt they were there for, that's what I'm paid for. I'll do what I'm told, but where is the contribution in the way of thought? Right? He goes on, he says, any existing organization or civilization is the sum total of its past and current contributors in terms of thought and effort. Yeah, whatever you see around you, your group, your organization, company, your country, this planet, it is a sum total of its past and current contributors. It's not the guys who don't contribute that are building the civilization. They are tearing it down. So whatever good that exists, whatever survival that exists and expansion that exists is coming from whom? It comes from the contributors. Imagine if we were all of that philosophy. Imagine if you as an entrepreneur were not only adopting that philosophy for yourself, but instilling that philosophy in your group. Imagine everyone there, instead of seeing how little they can do, how much they can contribute in terms of thought and effort, initiative, new ideas. How about if we tried it this way, boss? You know, I've been thinking, what about this? You know, what about that? And then working their guts out and helping to build a better group and a better world. That's contributism. Beautiful philosophy. All right. He goes on to say, some contribute much, some little. Rewards are not necessarily proportional to contribution and do not necessarily establish the degree of contribution. I happen to have many friends whose contribution is far in excess of any rewards that they get that you might think of as rewards, material rewards. Though there are other rewards. As Mr. Hubbard goes on to say here, he says, actually, a reward, quote unquote, is what one desires, not what is given. Approval and validation are often far more valuable than material rewards and are usually worked for far harder than mere pay. You want to see someone who works hard, really hard? They're working for more than just their pay. You might see some guy working pretty hard for his pay, but they'll work harder for a purpose that they believe in. They'll work harder for approval and validation. They'll work harder for the pride of being part of a successful, dynamic, valuable group. They will. They'll stay later, way past the, you know, have to kick them out of the office sometimes. You think they're doing that for pay? A lot of times in that scenario, they're not even getting paid for that, but they do it. Even being part of an important team is a return contribution. I like to think that I'm part of an important team. I've been doing it for over 40 years. I wouldn't want it any other way. Probably could have uh, worked out, not to set myself up as any particular example or anything, but uh, that material return has not been the most significant uh, element in my life and most of my closest friends. That has not been the return contribution, but there has been many return contributions. Your successes, your emails to us, writing what you're getting from business-wise is far more valuable to us here than any pay we might be receiving. Uh, Your comments, this is why I encourage you always, you've heard me say that it keeps us inspired, that it uh, motivates us and so forth. And you might think that's just a lot of talk, but actually it's true. That represents our real pay you know, what we really do this for. So uh, let that be a lesson to you next time you think about writing us and you don't, okay? As he was saying, even being part of an important team is a return contribution. Thus, quote, customer approval, end quote, of the team is part of the rewards one achieves. The high accolades of my group and the validation we get is appreciated. It's part of our pay. So Hubbard goes on to say this. He says, the subject of what one receives in return for contributing is as variable as the desires of man. Anyone who has a hat is expected to contribute the services outlined by the hat. Other teammates and customers or clientele, or the quote unquote public, expect a staff member to contribute his specialized services to those who seek them. Not truly. Really. Naturally, a person comes in, is expecting to receive a certain service. Maybe you're in the customer service department. And they come in with a complaint. They expect to be serviced. They expect whatever is a specialized service from that hat to be returned. And when it's not, instead it's referred to somebody else, it creates an ARC break, doesn't it? It's an upset. It's an imbalance in its contributism philosophy. Okay goes on to say, thus, service is a keynote of a hat. Now, I love these last three paragraphs, and I'm going to read them to you now. And you're going to see this neat little tie-in. There's been a lot of tie-ins here if you really look at it. Morale, production, service, contributism. There's a lot here to uh, digest. But uh, here's that final tie-in I promised you at the beginning of this talk. He says, quote, many years ago, when I first looked this over, I had a high position of command. After a great deal of sorting out, I finally concluded that the only privilege it conferred on me was the right to serve. All capital letters, the right to serve. After that, I could handle the post and was happy with it. Strupper goes on to say this. Certain it is that degradation is inevitable when the right to serve is interrupted or denied. It is worth thinking about in relation to happiness. Elron Hubbard. All right. There you go. There's your neat little tie-in. Want to be happy? Learn to serve. Encourage others to serve. Encourage this philosophy of contributism. If you can build it within your microcosm and start to emanate that through your community and enough members operate on that philosophy and start contributing that to their community, this philosophy, in other words, I think we can turn a lot of things around and make for a better world and reduce the amount of conflict and strife within our communities and country. At least that's what we are uh, all about here and what we're working towards. So I um, hope you found this useful. hope this helps you attain higher levels of expansion for your company, for your group, happiness within your group, and of course, happiness for you. And uh, if you'd like to contribute back and write us, we'd be, we would welcome that. Info at wiseeastus.org. Or give us a like if you like the uh, episode or leave us some comments. All of that, of course, contributes back to us. And uh, that's kind of our pay. So we don't ask for anything else, actually, except for you to win. And let us know that you're winning. All right. Thank you very much for listening. I will be talking to you again next week.